You are now listening to the King Bentley Podcast, where every opinion is welcome and every voice can be heard. First things first, my apologies for the late episode. It was a very eventful weekend. A lot took place. A lot of birthdays to be celebrated. Shoutouts Colson, shoutouts Dante, shoutouts my father. Shoutouts Carly too. Her birthday's coming up tomorrow, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Love you guys. A very eventful weekend. A lot took place. A lot went down. So my apologies again for the late episode. Vibing out to the sounds of Pete Rock, legendary producer, and um, this song reminds me of a, it reminds me of a of a certain pro era track, or from 1999. I'm not sure if it's officially a sample. I'm not sure if they officially sampled the same song. I'm not sure if it even is the same song, but they they kind of got the same feel. Let me know if I'm wrong. They, they kind of blend there. Look. I could be wild. Who knows, man? I, 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 I don't, I don't claim to be a musicologist or anything like that. Switching things up on today's show, though. Gave it some thought, and, and, and I figured that there's a different way. There's another way for me to produce and create this content for you. So I'm experimenting a little bit with today's show. Bear with me. Let me know if you like it. Let me know if you don't. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore King Bentley. Feel free to uh, share your responses in the question section on Instagram. When I ask them, feel free to tweet me with any questions, comments, concerns. I'll address it. Don't worry about that. I'm going to forego a guest today, just yours truly. I'll touch on a couple of topics that have been pressing to me over the past weeks and months of 2019, as well as an update in an update on week one of the NBA season. A lot, a lot has taken place in the, in the NBA this year, man. And like I said, as I mentioned last week on the show, this is probably one of the most highly anticipated NBA seasons. A lot of duos. A lot of dynamic duos, a lot of young rookies coming up, a lot of good young players, a lot of good players in like in a in that like six to eight year career range, a lot of solid players in that range as well too. On any given night, some multiple games to tune into and, and watch and enjoy. So we'll get to that as well too. I got some good advice, never quit torn. Cause that's the way we eat here in this rap game. I'm fucking with your funky little rap name. I hear your music and I know that raps change. A bunch of folks will say that that's a bad thing. Cause everything's commercial when it's pop now. I should really I should really dive into the law. Cause I'm not fully sure if I'm allowed to just come on in and play these songs, but listen. I'm gonna get away with it for as long as I can. Plus, you having fun, and I respect that. But have you ever thought about your impact? These white kids love that you don't give a fuck. Cause that's exactly what's expected when your skin black. They wanna see you dab. They wanna see me pop a pill. They wanna see Stay shining like the lights on the street in the night. Reavers take me shopping when I'm up in New York. Hit the shoe store, go and cop a few more. You at the mall getting dinner at the food court. I'm in LA. 
like eating 22 course young boss bitch paper in my pockets i got a closet filled with shoe boxes mom said my spending habit little bit obnoxious but a pilot stayed fresh up in his cockpit used to rock hand-me-downs now buy some clothes wear them out hit the club bitches pull their cameras out living in a dream they beginning to believe my hotel smell like cigarettes and weed shit with what i'm spitting they should give me a degree good liquor what i'm sipping isn't cheap yeah, this, this definitely gave me sophomore year high school vibes. R.P. to Nike. Oh, not, not Nike. R.P. to Mike Miller, man. Going but not forgotten. Going too soon. I ain't even gonna lie to y'all, good people. I don't feel like doing this today. I don't. I don't feel like creating today. But at the end of the day, I'm a creator. At the end of the day, it's my civic duty to do this. This is what I like to do Even though in the moment This is not necessarily What I want to do I'm going to push through However I'm feeling today And I'm going to get this done For y'all Once again I appreciate y'all For tuning in It's the King Valley Podcast One thing about me, a new movie will come out, a new album will be released, and it will take me months to get to it. I, I, I'm just not the type of person that just, that just jumps on things as soon as they come out. Like I, I really have to be in the mood to watch it, I have to be in the mood to listen to it. Ari Lennox Project, one of my favorite projects that came out this year, I listened to that project about four months after it came out. I have friends telling me to listen to Innocent Pac. They're telling me I like Innocent Pac. I've downloaded his music and I've yet to get to it because I'm just the type of person where I have to be in the mood to watch something. I have to be in the mood to listen to something. And that's the case with this movie, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but I just saw it. I recently watched it. I'm late to the party. I know that. I understand that. But I was finally in the mood to watch The Last Black Man in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago. And boy... If you haven't seen that movie, take the time out now to go buy it on Amazon Prime or buy it on YouTube and, and stream it. Because you can't even watch it in movies. You can't even watch it in theaters, I don't think. I tried to watch it. In, that's probably part of the reason why I haven't watched it. And it took me so long to watch it. Because as I was looking for a theater to find it in, I just couldn't really find one. So I eventually just bought the movie on Amazon Prime. I lied. I rented it on Amazon Prime. And just for a rule of thumb, if you want to rent a movie on Amazon Prime, it only lasts for two days. I didn't know that until... About four hours of the movie was left. <laughs> four hours of the rental time was left. But yeah, if you ever rent a movie on YouTube or Amazon Prime, I believe it only lasts for about two days. So yeah, hurry up and watch it right away. But back to the last Black Man in San Francisco. I finally watched this movie and boy. Boy, oh boy, everybody should go see that. Now, my friend originally recommended the movie. Shout out to Blair Bonds, young man from L.A., homie from L.A. I don't really know too many people from L.A., but he's the first person I know from L.A. He told me to watch the movie. And... In retrospect, part of the reason why he told me to watch it, so part of the reason why he was so, like, you know, adamant about me seeing a movie, not only is he a California resident, you know, he's very into cinematography and stuff like that, but the messaging in this movie, I promise you, the messaging, the cinematography, the direction, the acting, it's literally just as good as the beginning score that I just played sounds. It's, it's, it's just as good. It, it doesn't disappoint. It it, told, it tells a story of a young man who tries to repurchase a house that was once owned by his family in San Francisco. 
But of course, over time, black people were priced out of San Francisco and they were no longer able to afford the homes in San Francisco. And when his family lost that home, he spent his entire life saving up to try to repurchase that home on behalf of his family. And you can imagine from the time that his family owned the home up until the time that they lost it, a lot of turmoil, a lot of different things have changed in each one of those family members' lives from drug addiction to drug abuse to just straight up isolation by family members to even, it led to some people even just moving out of San Francisco altogether just to forget that they even lived in the house. That's how, that's how much they were affected by losing the house. I don't want to spoil too much of the movie for you, but the movie touches on so many topics that are relevant to us as young black folk in America. From the way that, you know, men, uh, men friend groups apply pressure unnecessarily on each other sometimes to, um, like I said, drug addiction, to, to, to financial literacy and things of that nature. The movie truly, truly, truly touched on a lot. And I want to take the time. I, I'll be doing you a disservice if I recommend you to, this movie to watch. I truly believe that. Now, keep in mind, this is coming from a young man. I don't really watch too many movies. It's been a while since I watched movies. As a matter of fact, I don't really watch shows that often. So that does not mean that I can't recommend or can't determine whether or not a show or a movie is good. But that just speaks to the frugality I approach consuming content with. And the fact that this movie was able to capture my attention for a full two hours and I was and I, and, and I was committed to watching it the entire time listen i'm telling you you should watch it because i'm not one to binge i'm not one to watch it so if i'm telling you to watch it trust me you should watch it i think the story does a i think the movie did a great job of telling the story of that young black man and i'm almost certain a lot of people were able to relate to that story because at the end of the day that was reality for the majority of us um living in san francisco in the early 1900s and that it still is the reality for a lot of us now across the country you know, living in a, in, a, in a city or a part of town that was once affordable and the next, you know, years go by and then you just watch the property value increase around you to the point where you can't even live there anymore, to the point where you can't even afford it. I, I truly feel for people like that. I truly do. When I, when I first, I can't really tell you the first time I heard about gentrification, to be honest with you. I really can't, but when, but when I did first, when I was first introduced to gentrification and the practice of gentrification, I immediately thought that it was strictly something that white people do to black people on purpose. Like I thought that, you know, white people come to your neighborhood. They say, all right, we're going to take these, this neighborhood from these black folks. We're going to move them out. That may necessarily, that may not necessarily be exactly how it goes down. But this year I was able to actually speak to somebody who was the victim of gentrification. And while she explained to me what her situation was, it was then that it dawned on me that it's not just as simple as, oh, you get moved out of your house, go find a new place to live. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. And watching this movie, it doubled down on what I learned that day after I had the conversation with that young lady who was a victim of gentrification. So, yeah, this movie for me was really just a great example of how we can learn a lot about life through art. And I feel like if anybody lacks context and understanding about gentrification in the ramifications and effects that it has on the people who moved out of the neighborhood and the people who live in the neighborhood now. I think that's a great place to start. Watching this movie is a great place to start. And again, outside of gentrification, there's many other topics and, and, and conversations that stem from this movie and there's many other things that you'll be able to learn, but that's probably one of the biggest and most important ones. And there's another analogy that is used the house that he's trying to repurchase. There's another there's another analogy, excuse me, and the bigger picture lesson that was learned via him putting all his energy into buying this house back. I don't want to spoil that for you, but when you do watch the movie and find out, hit me and let me know. We'll have a conversation about that. I want to move on to a topic that's a little bit more pressing to me personally right now. 
just a little more pressing not to say that's more important than justification not to say that it's a better topic or a better discussion than the last black man in san francisco but you know what i mean like it's just a little bit more pressing to me right now it's something that's been on my heart for a minute something that i've been trying to make sense of over the past like what six months to 2019 especially after i started working in a new industry and seeing things from a different perspective but um the conversation around I guess uh, Corporate Social responsibility I-, I guess that's the overall Overhead of the conversation That I'm going into right now I guess that's the overall Like umbrella term That you would use To describe that thing Corporate Social responsibility So so, so what is corporate Social Responsibility What is that How would you describe that Matter of fact How would I describe that Now if you ask me Corporate social responsibility is pretty straightforward. You know, corporations have a social <laughs> responsibility to uphold for their consumers. All right, I gotta stop doing it. Every time I'm about to explain something, I use the words to explain you know, some jokey shit, and it's probably not funny anymore. I'm gonna stop doing that. But now, if I could describe what corporate social responsibility is, it's pretty much the corporation saying, I bet if you're gonna give me money consistently to consume my product or to use my product or whatever service I may provide for you. It's my responsibility to say, all right, what do you care about? Let me throw some money at what you care about. Let me throw some support in the direction of what you care about. Because listen, if you're going to throw me your money consistently for what I'm willing to provide for you, the least that I can do is provide for, 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 your, for your social needs in another way. You know what I'm saying? Like, does that make sense? Is that clear? Is that fair even? Is that a fair transaction? I'm already giving you money. I'm giving you all this money. I'm giving you all this money. I'm getting the satisfaction from my product. That I'm getting from you But I also want This This is me speaking From the consumer perspective I also want you To care about What I care about Now that I think about it I'm not quite sure That's fair to the corporation No funny shit nah, The reason why I say that Hear me out The reason why I say that Is because it's like Yo I, 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 I created this business Because I like what I do I created this business Because I want to provide This service or product for you I want to stop right there If I'm a corporation I want to stop right there the business of business is business. The business of business is to get more money, right? Nah. We're not having that no more. We're not jacking that no more. Millennials, we don't really feel like that anymore. Like, if I'm throwing you all this bread, you better care about what I'm caring about. It's simple. Everybody knows it now. It's not a secret. It's, it's, it's almost implied now like this this is a must in order for you to run a successful business in 2019 going into the 2020s you need to care about what i care about and to be honest i'm not quite sure i've never been sure about how i feel about that a couple weeks ago in the podcast i mentioned um the way that i saw companies treating pride month i haven't gotten a chance to speak to a representative of the lgbtq community to ask them how they feel about it but from my perspective, that shit ain't seem genuine at all. Like, it, it just seems as though, it feels as though these corporations are just going to do what we tell them to do because at the end of the day, if they don't, they lose money. But can you ruin them for that? I mean, after all, it is a capitalistic society. After all, the reason why I created this business is because I need a bag to provide for my family. So listen, if you tell me that you're going to pull your dollars away from me for not doing what you want me to do for you, I'll do it. I'll do it. First off, what does your report say about buyers today? What do they want to do with their dollar? They want to buy on beliefs. They want brands to stand up on issues that matter to them. Two-thirds literally say, I will buy a brand or I will boycott a brand if it stands up on issues. That's a huge change in the marketing ecosystem. And is part of this coming from a lack of confidence in our elected leaders? Are people saying, I can't trust government to do what's right, I can trust the brands that I love to do what's right? Again, more than half said to us, I think brands are more effective in dealing with the social issues of our time than government. And also going back to our trust barometer, Actually, only 30% of Americans trust their government. That right there is the issue. It's not so much, I'm not so much mad at people for, for, for demanding the brands to support the causes that they, call, that they want, 
excuse me. But what we really should be focusing on is where that stems from. Why do we want the brands that we support to support what we want to support? Well, we know for a fact at the end of the day, they're only going to do what we tell them to do because we're the ones giving them money. Now, to some people, that may sound obvious. I'm like, yo, Ben, what you talking about? Like, yo, listen, if I'm throwing my money to this company, like they're going to do what I tell them. I get that. I'm, I'm hearing that. But my main thing is, is it genuine? Why would I want somebody to support the cause that I, that I love and I care about so dearly about if I know at the end of the day it's not genuine? Are we, are, is, is, is it a matter of, oh, listen, somebody's backing me. I feel comfortable. Or is it a bigger picture of, yo, we don't trust the government to do it. So I'm asking now the corporations who are under the government, who play within the who play within the playground of this country. I want the corporations to do it. That's wild to me. Like these these, these big corporations, these are the same people that are doing a whole bunch of crazy. Nasty things on the back end. Covering their ass. Risking their names to get a dollar. And these are the people that we're putting our trust in. It's a weird world out there today, man. It's strange out there. It almost feels like any time I dive into a, a, a subject or a topic, it confirms that we kind of live in a dystopian society, so to speak. And I don't mean to paint a, paint a gloomy picture of the world to anybody, but it, it, it really forces me to wonder and think, should we be demanding these corporations to support the causes that we want them to, to, to support? If if Nike comes out and they create a campaign that says "Dream Crazy" and throw Colin Kaepernick's face on the on the, on the billboard, does that mean that they genuinely want us to dream crazy? Does that mean that they genuinely care about police brutality within our community? Does that mean that they really want us see us win and do better, or is that their way of just saving face and saying, "You know what? Listen, we don't want you to pull your dollars from us, so let me just." Let me let me throw you this. Let me let me throw you this bone real quick, just so you know that like, hey, we here, we here, we here, we here. Don't worry about it. We here. It's strange to me. It really is. Now, I for one, I believe that we got to hold these couple corporations to a higher level, right? If we want these corporations to support the causes that we want them to support, it has to be more than just a commercial. It has to be more than just, oh, we'll donate this money to a charity of your cause. I want to see more work on a, on a, on a, on a grassroots level. I want to see these commercials, not these commercials, excuse me. I want to see these corporations really showing up physically in our everyday lives and, and, and putting their work in our communities. It's not enough just to just run a commercial or run an ad and, and, and saying that you support what we support. That ain't enough for me. That ain't enough for me. It almost feels like you're giving me a suede coat to go wear in the rain. It look cute, but it ain't really about to do nothing for me. It ain't about to do much for me. So I'm urging us going into the next decade. Instead of us just asking these corporations to do the bare minimum, instead of us demanding them to do what we think and know should be done. Let's see to it that they're really putting their money where their mouth is. For example, I'll give you an example. Microsoft, they did a campaign. I wouldn't even call it a campaign. It's more like an initiative. They realize that there are gamers, there are young gamers who have physical disabilities that's hindering them from actually enjoying the Xbox experience with the majority of their friends who play online. And what they did was they created controllers specifically for those disabled kids. They created controllers that almost any type of physical ailment can't stop you from playing with. Now, the commercial that they did to showcase this actual initiative or campaign is called We All Win. You guys can YouTube it. You can find it online. But the reason why I bring that up is because here is Microsoft looking at an issue that is a real issue and creating a real tangible solution to that issue and then creating a commercial to talk about that. You see, you see the difference there? I'm not, and I'm not attacking Nike because Nike's not the only person to do that, only people to do that. They're not the only company to do that. They're not the only company to just create a commercial and, and billboards and waltz over things. But they're a brand that we all love and support. The majority of us love and support. And are we going to continue to allow companies to just do the bare minimum for us? Are we going to actually demand that they, that, they, that they put their money where their mouth is and, and truly support us? And it's funny because I'm over here accidentally calling Nike us and them and we. But it, it really does feel like corporations are people nowadays. It feels like we want corporations to be people. 
We want them to show up in our lives as regular everyday people and help us with issues that we don't have the control or the power to solve. And that's where we focus our attention on, on, on people who are brands. I feel like it's a little bit differently when you are the face of your brand, when you are the face of your movement. It's a little bit differently. Now we holding you to an even higher standard. Because when we can attach a face or when we can attach a name with a brand, the stakes are higher. Now you, the person, have to consistently show up in our lives and put your money where your mouth is. A couple of weeks ago in the pod, I also mentioned Ronnie Fain. Now, I'm not sure if I pronounced his name properly. I apologize if I did, if I didn't. But the reason why I bring up Kith again on today's show is because he's an example of somebody who their face is the brand. Ronnie Fing is synonymous with Kith. Kith is not synonymous with Ronnie Fing. He is the brand. He is Kith. So in this situation, whatever issues that you have with Kith, you can attach it directly to the owner, to the person associated with Kith. And Kith is one of those brands, man. It was a, it was a nice streetwear brand that started here in Brooklyn. Not Brooklyn. I'm sorry. Queens. Excuse me. I'm sorry. New York City. I ain't even sure where in which borough started before. In fact, he started here in New York City. And I remember when Kith first came out, T-shirts were like forty-five dollars, fifty-five dollars, and it was a cool thing. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was Atrium and Kith. Kith was just like a little footwear shop next to Atrium and Soho, and eventually they got their own shop in Soho, and they started expanding into the streetwear space, creating Kith Originals. And whew, anytime you put that Kith on, it says something about you. It says something about who you were, who you are. And the things got a little murky, you know. More and more people started to hear about Kith and started wearing Kith. And then Kith became synonymous with cool and exclusive. And it feels as though the moment Ronnie realized that more and more people were buying Kith, it was time to hike the price up. And I'm not knocking him for that. I ain't knocking nobody's business. Get it how you get it. But I guess the only issue I have with that is the fact that the people who support the brand don't necessarily have the money to do that. So kind of like the San Francisco gentrification topic where it's like, yo, I'm living in this place. I'm buying these clothes and it's comfortable. It's, it's sweet now. It's lit. Yes, it's nice. It's good. The next thing you know, before you know it, time go along, time go along. And then all of a sudden you're getting priced out. You're getting priced out of a neighborhood that you helped to build. You're getting priced out of a brand that you help to, to expand and grow. And then, and then it calls you to just step back and wonder. It's like, hold on. If you was riding our backs this whole this whole time, if 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 you built your brand on the back of us this entire time, like where's the room for us? Like how can we fit in? Like how can we still be a part of this Kith family? Last last piece of clothes, last the last piece I, I purchased from Kith it was a it was a, a long sleeve polo shirt. I think it came out last year, last fall delivery. It's a color block polo shirt, and I'm I'm very into color block. Shit is wavy. Dropped about 150 on that. I ain't gonna sit here and lie to you. The quality of the of, of these Kith clothes, oh, they're great, man. The quality is fire. It's A1. But I'm getting a little bit of hypocritical vibes from Ronnie a little bit. Let me know what you think. That's another thing, you know, that I think is very important about the way that I see the brand moving forward, the Kith brand as well, as yours is never charging for the branding. You remove a logo, the product costs the same. You put the logo back on, we don't want to charge more for it. You're buying it for the piece that, you know, for the piece that it Affordability. is. Affordability. And that's the thing, you know, today it's, I don't think it's spoken about enough. It's not, but I think a lot of people think that if it's more expensive, it's better. That's it's, not always the case. It's not always the case. Now, here's my thing with that. Like I said before, Kith makes quality clothing. That polo shirt that costs $150, yo, it's quality. That shit kept me warm yesterday. It was windy as hell. Kept me warm. However, I can't help to think that if Kith was not on, plastered on the front of that shirt, it would only ruin me about 45 And it feels as though, this is an interview, this is a conversation between Tommy Hilfiger and, and Ronnie Fing last year. It feels as though he's lost sight of that already. I remember shirts being 45, 55. Now a t-shirt from Kith is 75. Shout out to Uniqlo. This is not a sponsor. They're not sponsoring the show. This is not a paid, a paid uh, shout out either. But 
I remember walking into New Glow and I, and I picked up a T-shirt for 15 cash and it was a quality shirt. And I almost cried because the week prior to that, I had spent $70 on a quality T-shirt from Kith. It was the same quality. The only difference is that it had Kith plastered on the, on the collar. So again, are we truly holding these companies and these corporations responsible for the claims that they make? Again, I mentioned Kith a couple of weeks ago in, in regards to the Barbie thing. And, and and it still rubs me the wrong way because it feels as though Rodney Fing was like, all right, we could just create a couple of black Barbies, dress them up nice, have people vote on them. Whoever wins, that'll be the Barbie that we sell. But it's like, I understand that he may try to, what, trying to show us that, um, you know, we are represented in the Barbie world. I get that. That's cute. I don't think you made that clear, though. What are you going to do with these proceeds once you get them? You see what I'm saying? Because it's like, yeah, you could sell a black Barbie that's decked out in kith wear, but like, what's in it for us? This is just a way for you to say, ah, oh, yo, listen, you're represented. And um, look, you finally have a black Barbie that you can hold daily to your heart. Or are you going to say, yo, listen, it's been a while since Barbie has rightfully represented black folk on their brand in their, in their dolls. I want to create a, a black Barbie doll to show young black girls that, listen, you two matter. You two will be represented in everything that you buy and support. And with that being said, matter of fact, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to donate it to a, a charity or to an organization that gives their money directly, whether it be grants and scholarships, that gives this money, that repurposes this money, that repackages this money to see to it that other young black girls have the opportunities to be creators, have the opportunity to go to college and, and, and pursue all types of careers. So again, I'm asking you, are we allowing these brands to just get away with the bare minimum? Or are we holding them accountable to see to it that whatever proceeds, whatever money, whatever resources they actually have are being used to our benefit? And if we aren't, we got to change that going into the 2020s. We got to change that. I don't, I'm not going to sit up here and claim to be an educator or a philosopher or a great economist. I'm only young. I'm, I'm still young. It's too early for that. Catch me in like 20, 30 years, I'll be able to probably jack those titles. But what I will say is, from my perspective, and, and keep in mind I am from New York City, so things are a little skewed for me. My perspective is a little skewed because New York City, it's, it gives you an illusion. It, it, it's really an illusion compared to how like the, the country really is. New York City is really an illusion. A wicked one at that, but I love it. It's, in my opinion, like the, the most effective way for us to be able to be in control of our destiny is that it, it, it has to it has to it has to that control has to manifest itself in an economic way you know the black dollar is very powerful and i just want us all to be mindful of where we spend our money who we give our money to because it's very easy to say yo listen i need my corporations to support the causes i want but it's just as easy to take that money and not follow through I'm going to take a quick break and we come back. Week one in the NBA season. Questions, comments, reactions, concerns. We'll be back shortly. Leave the city shook for sure, and I'ma take them back where Biggie took them before. You stay a player since you can't stay with the Pope, and stick to what you do best, stick to wearing coat. You looking for excuses, wave to say you broke. Can't keep a whip, cause you can't pay the note. Fuck the side, I'm wavy on top, Mercedes drop. Black V80's cop, to the day I get knocked. All I ask when I die, dress me flying neatly, and brush my way so I'm handsome when the bitches greet me. Word from the wise, niggas jerk pies, we hurt them guys. Bust lead, the skin they had, and leave them circumcised. So how you wanna settle this? Rapping all some ghetto shit. We could do it your way with mics over metal shit. Niggas wanna shout, I'ma make noise. Niggas with they mouth, I'ma break jaws. Face is coming out, we gon' take yours. Hold them, we're all up town, baby. We make balls. Niggas wanna shout, I'ma make noise. Niggas when they mouth, I'ma break yours. Face is coming out, we gon' take yours. Hold them, we're all up town, baby. We make balls. Yeah. Yo, before it's all over, 
lot of blood gonna be spilled. We ain't discriminating, even thugs gonna be killed. We early inheritors, born into cream. If a nigga get shice, then we form as a team. Bullshit if you want, and it be on for this cream. The weatherman don't even know the storm I'ma bring. But yo, I'm not the man with whom you interact. So before you grab gas, the jack, remember that. You take dope from me, you might as well send it back. I got thugs everywhere, where you gonna spend it at? Clicks come to brawl, everything I hit for Niggas play sick with y'all, with me they ain't sick at all No matter how big or small, I get rid of y'all And shit I spit at y'all, come in one shot, fit Niggas all Niggas wanna shout, I'ma make noise Niggas run their mouth, I'ma break jaws Ace is coming out To a report, Kyrie Irving's mood swings have been a growing concern to the Nets organization. When they occur, Kyrie will shut down and not communicate to the coaches, front office, or teammates. And one recent occurrence during the Nets' preseason trip to China left everyone, quote, scratching their heads. Oh, man. Yo, the media is truly something else, man. I'm scrolling on Instagram, and Bleacher Report posts, posts a picture of Kyrie Irving sitting on the Nets bench, and the caption reads, Kyrie Irving's quote-unquote mood swings are an unspoken concern that makes Brooklyn officials feel queasy. Nets source say an episode happened on their trip to China, leaving the team confused per Jackie McMullen. Shouts to Jackie McMullen. I like her writing. Uh, ESPN senior writer. The media is something else, man. The media is something else. Because once you read Jackie McMullen's piece, that is such a small portion. Of that. that is just a microcosm of the piece itself. But of course, the entire piece is painted on Instagram, on Twitter, to be a smear campaign towards Kyrie Irving. That shit is corny, my nigga. Like that, <laughs> it's corny, bro. Because it's like I get it; it makes sense. You gotta find, you gotta figure out a way to get people to click on the page. You gotta figure out a, a way to get people to read the article. But like, damn, just dragging his name, like dragging his name through the dirt like that, just cause, like, just cause we, you know what I'm like. Uh, Listen, I'll let you guys read the article on your own. You can find it on ESPN. Um, I just read it not too long ago. Uh, give me two, four, six, eight. All right, give me 10 seconds. And the title of the article right here, I have it. For the Culture, KD, Kyrie, and What Comes Next for the Nets. Read the article and then go on Bleach Report and look at what Bleach Report posted on Instagram. And then let me know if I'm wilding. Because it feels as though they're just trying to use Kyrie Irving as a scapegoat to create some content. Listen, man, Kyrie Irving's a moody guy. We get that. So what? He's not the first moody superstar. He won't be the first, the last one either. What did I say a couple of weeks ago in the pod? You let people be people. Once you meet someone new, once you enter into a new situation, you fill them out, you observe them, you allow them to be them, and then it is your responsibility to then say, all right, how can we coexist? How can we get along? I don't think this thing should be overstated. I don't think this thing should be constantly reported. This is an issue. Not even an issue. This is a situation the Nets would just have to figure out on their own. Like, it's not that big of a deal. He's a moody guy. So what? Nonetheless, though, I am impressed by the Nets start. Boy, open up the open up open night. <laughs> open up open night. Drop 50 on them, young boys. In Brooklyn on open tonight. What a performance. I know it's going to be much of an adjustment for the rest of the team to have to deal with a guy who takes 20-something shots a game. But listen, that's what happens when you, when you upgrade. You got to make sacrifices in other areas. It's going to be interesting to see. Granted, this is a very small sample size. I don't know how many shots a game he'll take throughout the entire season. But I wonder if next year when Kevin Durant comes back, if Kyrie Irving will be okay with taking that back seat. Or will Kyrie Irving have to be the alpha on that team, being that Kevin Durant's coming back from injury and he may not be the king, same Kevin Durant, X, Y, Z, so on and so forth, or is Kevin Durant expected to automatically come back and be that first option and be that alpha and show them what it takes to win a championship? Either way, I feel as though both guys are talented enough to interchange between the number one and number two option, and both of them are champions. So the young players will be able to learn from champions this season onward. And I definitely think that by the time Kevin Durant, as a matter of fact, definitely think I'm over here trying to talk like I'm about to say a crazy hot take. It's not outlandish to think that Brooklyn will definitely be a contender next year when Kevin Durant comes back. Regardless of how, even I don't gotta see him play. I don't even gotta see him play. I'm confident that Kevin Durant will come back and still be able to give us at least 25 and seven a game. So 
We'll be looking forward to that. Moving across the bridge. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett from Toronto and Duke University. I ain't going front, man. I ain't go front, man. I ain't go front, man. This is, ah, man, listen. Four years ago when we drafted Christos Porzingis, I was a little upset. I wasn't 100% sold on European guys, and I never heard of Latvia. I was mistaken. I was wrong. I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong. Fast forward four years, but this is the first time. This is the first time where from draft night I was satisfied. Right? When we selected R.J. Barrett, I was satisfied from draft night. You know, it, it wasn't much of the Zion versus R.J. Com- uh, conversations in my mind. It wasn't a lot of those. It wasn't a lot of those going on. I was just like, you know what? If he wasn't meant to have Zion, we don't have him. It's cool. I- I'll take R.J. I'm satisfied with R.J. He's a baller. And so far, he is justifying my comfort in that selection. A super small sample size. But listen... I'll take 20, 20 points a game, seven rebounds a game, shooting 50% from the field over whatever any other Knicks rookie was doing over the past couple of seasons, all right? Now, the kid's still got to work on his boy handling his playmaking a little bit. He's a great defender. I love the fact that he's aggressive when attacking the basket. And most importantly, in big moments and late-game situations, the poise and the confidence is there. I, I appreciate and I respect that the most. I ain't going to get too carried away because it's only been four games. But, boy, RJ, man, you making us proud out there. I appreciate you, kid. And shout out to Mitchell Robinson, son. Keep doing them squats. Keep lifting in the weight room. Oh, I'm telling you, once Mitchell Robinson gets stronger, it's over. All y'all big men is on watch. All right? All y'all big men is on watch. He already showed us, like, yo, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm here for the development. You know, over the past couple of years, I've always knocked the Knicks for not having a good player development system. But... In this small sample size, my son Mitchell Robinson is stepping outside of the paint, taking shots outside of the paint. That's something that he was not doing four four games of the season last year. And, of course, he's still that great rim-running center, great rebounder, and a great defender. All I need to see him doing going forward is continue to get strengthen himself because he's, he's, he's very wobbly on court. Like, a lot of times, you know, you see him getting bounced around by, by other bigs or just going up for a layup and just getting knocked out of the air. He's very wobbly on court. There's times where, you know, you got to – um. You got to get back on defense and like his legs, you can tell his legs aren't just strong enough yet for him to just be able to just quickly get back, backpedal on defense and be able to defend the other side of the floor, floor, excuse me, sorry. I'm getting antsy, I'm getting hype. You can, you can hear it in my voice. But I, I, overall, I'm very, very, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for these young players. KP and RJ would have been sweet, man. KP and RJ, that would have been sweet. But but enough of the fallacies. I'm not going to, I'm not even going to envision things that don't exist. I'm leaving that alone in 2019, going into the 2020s. As a Knicks fan, we have a tendency of doing that, and I'm going to stop doing that. And I'm going to stop doing that. What I will say, though, and I'm surprised I'm ever saying this, what's going on, Fizz? What's up? I'm not really liking the play calling, man. Yeah, like, as many times this week, I'm, I'm watching Knicks games, and I'm seeing a play play out on the floor. The play breaks down, and next you know it's isolation ball again. We got to work on that. We got to work on that. Shout out to Julius Randle, a.k.a. A Lot to Handle. Just take your time out there, big fella. Don't overthink the game. Let the game come to you. You got this. You got this. Trey recaptures the dribble. Three to shoot. Banks it in! A three-pointer for Trey Young! You are a cheat code, young man. He threw up a prayer and it got answered. Now, I must admit, I was wrong about this young man. And I, I, I've said this multiple times on the show already, but I think a part of the reason why I came on, on, on this platform last year and spoke out against Trey Young is because I just wanted to have the unpopular opinion. And um, that's also something I'm leaving in 2019 because it's unnecessary. It's, it's unnecessary. It's pointless. And I refuse to use my platform irresponsibly. With that being said, any young shooter out there, any young point guard out there that's listening, I need you to I need you to purchase an NBA League Pass subscription solely so that you can watch Trey Young. Solely so that you can watch Trey Young. Now he's not the best defender. Don't watch him on defense. But as far as court vision and his ability to create enough space to knock down those deep three balls, 
mercy. Him and John Collins, that pick and roll is, is, is immaculate. That pick and roll is lovely. The chemistry that these two young players have been able to develop over the last two seasons, well, season and then the off season, I guess it's the second season, but the chemistry that those two young players have, it reminds me, it reminds me, reminds, keyword reminds me of a young Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but watching them two young boys play, it really reminds me of those 09, 2000, not 2010, like yeah, 07, 08, 09 Phoenix Sun teams with, uh, with, with um, Barbosa and Sean Marion and those boys. The way that Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire used to run the pick and roll and just dice boys up. <sighs> Lovely. I love it. So I'm, I'm definitely keeping my eye on Trey Young this season. Uh, he's been nothing short of amazing. So far, averaging, what, 34 points, nine assists, shooting 52% from behind the arc and 51% from the field overall. That's wicked, man. That's bad. <laughs> and grabbing six boards a game. I don't know what that's about. I don't know. Six boards a game at 6-1? I don't know. I don't know what that's about. I, I wonder if Trey Young is going to put on weight. And the reason why I wonder that is because it's like, I, I, and this is the question I had about Kevin Durant too early on. I always wondered, like, if you're a kid, if you're a guy who's a great shooter, would add would, would would adding muscle to your frame really affect your shot? Would that affect? Would that, how, I really want to know how that would affect this game. Long term speaking, you know, on court he still looks very small, very frail, looks like a little kid almost. But it's like, listen, would putting more weight on affect his frame? Would that affect the way he plays? I don't know. We'll have to see. Nonetheless, though, I will say I'm I'm, I'm very impressed by Trey Young so far. I remember I was looking at a um I was looking at a list. A top 10 list or something like that. Oh, they playing tonight. Do they playing the Heat tonight? Whew, yeah, that's going to be a game. That's going to be a game to watch. That's going to be a game to watch. They got that young boy from, um, they got the undrafted rookie. The, he got the undrafted rookie that leads them in scoring right now. And Jimmy Butler comes back tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a game to watch. Oh, and John Moran playing tonight? Playing LA tonight? Oh, yeah. It's going to, oh, yeah. We, oh, Shouts to NBA TV, man. Shouts to NBA TV. We got a night. We got a night. We got a night tonight. But, Lost track already. What was I talking about? Trey Young and bowling. Da da da. Yeah, the, um, the, I was looking at the list. A top ten list. A top, not top ten list. Top one hundred list in the league. And Trey Young was pretty high on that list. And I'm, I'm, I'm I scratched my head like, yo, kid only played a season. Y'all, y'all fake wildin'. But so far, he, he telling me out. He told me I'm wildin'. I mean, a lot of guys spend the off season. You know, in in a new generation, a new era of, of of ballers. A lot of us spend the off season. Just posting highlights on Instagram, and I call those. I always call those the uh, the 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 summer run sessions. I, I most recently started calling those artificial highlights. Now, growing up on basketball, I, I took those highlights as gospel. But as I got older, I realized that nobody really playing defense in those highlights. Sometimes the competition is not all that, and just yo, nobody trying to get injured, man. We just we just hooping, we just balling. But Trey Young is one of those guys where. Listen, I'm posting my shit online. You see me playing in um in, in in the LA pickup games. I ain't just out here to be it just to see I'm out here. I ain't just out here just so that the cameras can see me out here. Trey Young showing us so far that he's really been working this summer, and I respect that, and I appreciate that. I appreciate him for that. Shout out to Trey Young. Come to fruition tonight. Baines, no quit, and that will do it. And as we noted, that 12-game losing streak of the Clippers is now a thing of the past. What a night here in downtown Phoenix as the Suns win it 130-122. to Continue to surprise, K-Ray. Now, this is probably the biggest shock to me to start off the NBA season. Going into the season, my expectations for this team are uh, were low. As a matter of fact, there were no expectations because who the hell cares what the Suns are doing? Because when was the last time the Suns actually played meaningful basketball? Right? Who knows? With that being said, it was it's really a shocker to me that Monty Williams is able to, to turn this thing around so fast. And I may be overstating it. I may be overstating it. But uh, let's think about it for a second. They blew the Kings out one twenty four to ninety five. They lost to the Nuggets in overtime in an overtime thriller by one point. Then followed up the next night. Beat the life out of the Clippers. I dragged it. They beat the life out of the Clippers. <laughs> I dragged it. I dragged it. But they beat the Clippers. Then after that, last night they lost to the Jazz by one point again. Another close game. What that shows me. What that shows me is that Monty Williams really, really knows what he's doing. Monty Williams is like, listen, man. He pulled up to the facility, rolled the sleeves up, and said, listen, let me let me just little, throw a little some hint on, and I got this. Don't worry about this, Mister Jean, Mister Jones. I got this. 
I'm the right person for this job. Don't gotta, you don't gotta worry about it. You don't gotta micromanage me. You don't gotta you don't gotta call ownership on me. As a matter of fact, let's keep the ownership as far out of the kitchen as possible this season. I got this. Most importantly, they're doing this without their number one overall draft pick from last year, DeAndre Ayton, who's currently serving a 25-game suspension for violating the league's anti-drug policy. Now, for anybody who's wondering, I did a little research on that, and pretty much what happened is DeAndre Ayton, according to him, accidentally, unintentionally digested or ingested, I should say, a um, banned substance. The banned substance, in this case, is a diuretic. And if anybody's familiar with diuretics, you use diuretics to kind of like flush your system out a little bit. Now, a diuretic may not necessarily flush whatever other substances are out in your system, but it probably could mask it. And I could be wrong. Don't take my word for it. You might want to fact check me on that. But it could potentially mask it. So it kind of forced me to think, like quite of forces me to wonder, was DeAndre Ayton trying to hide something in his pee? Was he trying to hide something else that he shouldn't have taken that caused him to unintentionally take a diuretic? Who knows? Because if you really, outside of, you know, flushing your system or whatever, if you have high blood pressure or kidney issues, you'll take a diuretic. But it's like a young 20-year-old athlete just got drafted number one overall last year. Why would he have those issues? Who knows? Who knows? I'm not here to speculate. I honestly don't know. Only DeAndre Ian can speak for himself on that matter. But the fact that they're doing all of this and competing at the level that they're competing at without their one of their best players is amazing to me. It's, it's phenomenal. As a matter of fact, you can make the case that if DeAndre Ayton played in all four games so far, they'd probably be 4-0. They'd probably be 4-0. Granted, again, as we know, this is a very, very, very small sample size. But I still think it's something to pay attention to because when was the last time the Phoenix Suns did everything that was worthy of us paying attention to? We'll have to wait and see. But I'm looking forward to tonight's games. Three wonderful games. I can only watch two because... Ain't no time to watch three games. <laughs> Ain't no time to watch three games. And um, shout out to the Knicks. Knicks taking you to the vibe. Appreciate y'all for listening to today's episode. Appreciate y'all for allowing me to experiment a little bit. We out. You've been listening to the King Belly Podcast. You can follow the King Belly Pod on Instagram and Facebook. You can subscribe to the King Belly Podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Your support is greatly appreciated. This beat was produced and engineered by Nigel Pierre Bryant. You can check out more of his records on his production page on Instagram at produced by period end.